This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, today, super excited to have Simon Bray, president of REW.ca, live in the studio this week. That's right. President or CEO. I I think he's, yeah, depending on which country you're in by the sounds of things, but he's a head honcho over at REW. REW, he walked over. That's just like... It's like down the street, right? It's three blocks from us. So yeah, a couple of things about that. One is we are in kind of the Canby corridor meets kind of the Main Street corridor in that kind of middle section. That's right. Almost like a Mount Pleasant, call it. Let's call it Mount Mount Pleasant Pleasant West. West, yes. uh, (laughs) To speak in MLS neighborhoods. And one thing was clear when Simon showed up. The guy's probably got about 4% body fat. There's no way he's spending as much time at La Taqueria as you are. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I feel like, you know, we made this joke or comment more than joke about Jordan, uh, Jordan McDonald, Jordan McDonald coming yeah. in in a white shirt and everybody just like who wore it better feeling like, oh my God, what am I doing with my life? Yeah. Uh, Simon, six, five, maybe I, I'm, I was thinking six, five. He's a tall drink of water. He's a, he's six, five, the golden boy here. Yeah. Uh, you shake his hand. It's like shaking a bunch of bananas. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and he's like, you know, so he's, he's taller. He's super ripped. Yeah. <laughs> and he's way smarter. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and you know, I, I doubt he's taking the trips to uncle fatties the way, uh, <laughs> The way we are. The Cambi uh, Corridor, I'm The Cambi Corridor, a lot of good places to lunch for sure. And Simon <laughs> is skipping all of them. Yeah, and he's right. bringing a salad. But <laughs> it, it was a great conversation. Today, we talk about Simon's three top market picks 
And I want to be clear here. This is based on REW stats. And this is a website. There's about 6 million sessions every single month on this website for people that are looking at real estate, looking at submarkets, looking at property types. These guys have incredible data to make predictions from. It's the number one real estate listing search site in BC. Yeah. That's that's for sure. They have rentals as well. I feel like they're moving from, and Simon gets into this, but you know, the insert in the newspaper in the 90s, moving its way through various iterations. But Simon's originally from South Africa. He's worked on five continents in the real estate technology space. He's yeah. only been in Vancouver about 18 months. Yeah. And I feel like they brought in a ringer here to really update the site totally. in a way that is super exciting. And he gets into all the ways they're making those changes, but also uh, what all that data means for understanding the market. Like he's got also, where's going to pop? He's got a couple different suggestions yep. based on very recent search data as to where people are shifting their searches and how it's changed over COVID. There's so much to take away from this conversation. It's such a great conversation this with is, Simon Bray. If you're thinking about buying real estate in BC this year or next year, this is the episode to listen to 100%. Before we get to that, Matt, this podcast studio we've been coming to you live from for about the last, I don't know, COVID, since COVID started, yeah, a year exactly. and a half or so. It started as a temporary studio because we were down at the bento box for a long time with our friend Ramey from Ramey Films. And Ramey, we all kind of shut down around COVID. Now this temporary studio is becoming a more permanent studio, especially as we kind of enter this new kind of quasi lockdown or uh, what is it? The fourth wave. We're wearing masks. Let's just put it that way. We're wearing masks. So we're in this kind of new studio. New table just arrived. You actually had to build it. It's like night and day in here. Yeah. Well, you supervise the build. I supervise the build. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And now we're starting to kit it out. So we will be continuing to have guests in studio as long as they're masked. And uh, yeah, we'll take it from here. Absolutely. But before we get to our talk with Simon Bray, there's at least one other thing to talk about. What's that? We are sponsored this week by Oakland Realty. That is our brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down for the best resources best culture, best energy. I think Oakland is is definitely the place to be. If you're a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. You'll get a huge surprise slash incentive. Yep. And you'll get to meet with Michael Morgan and the gang. You will not be disappointed. Once again, oakland.com slash join, VRP 2020. And I want to just also mention, Simon, uh, we were his top choice for real estate content, I guess, outside oh, of REW. this is right. This, I don't want to toot our, our horn too hard here, but he was saying we're producing the best content he's heard in the Vancouver market, and he's been in five continents. So uh, I trust his opinion. Hopefully the VREP community does as well. Yeah, exactly. And one other thing, just in terms of objectivity, I feel like Simon's an objective uh, he is. commentator on the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. He is objectively a tall drink of water as well. I talked to our producer, Brady D, who yeah. uh, who produces a couple other podcasts. And Simon was on another show about a year ago yeah. that Braden is involved with. And the first thing Brady D said to me when I mentioned Simon Bray was coming on our show is he said, what did he, he, he called him a dreamboat. He said, oh my God, what a dreamboat. And he usually only <laughs> calls us a dreamboat, dreamboats. 
Uh, yeah. There's very few people, Braden. No, puts there's the a title high, of the Green Boat on. The, yeah, the, the standard is very, very high with Brady <laughs> yeah, D. Exactly. And Simon hit the cover off the ball, as they say. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, hey, Matt, without further ado, let's cut to this conversation with Simon Bray. Top three market picks based on REW stats. You are not going to want to miss these. Enjoy. All right, so we're here with Simon Bray, president of REW.ca. How you doing, Simon? Very good, very good. Good to be with you guys. Thanks, man. Thanks, Adam. Yeah, thanks for thanks for coming in, Simon. Uh, maybe uh, I think most of our listeners will have heard of REW, but can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, I mean, the intro president of REW doesn't tell you a lot about me. So <laughs> uh, just to expand on myself, you can hear from the strange accent that I'm a South African originally. So I uh, grew up in Johannesburg, studied in Johannesburg, ended up living on the beach in Durban, enjoying, you know, surf and sun and everything else. But also, interestingly, in Durban was the head office for a property portal called Private Property. And it's one of the biggest property portals in Africa and certainly in South Africa. And so I ended up running that for a number of years. And that was the start of this whole real estate marketplace journey that I've been on and the kind of career that shaped from that. And the interesting thing we were talking before we went live, Simon, is started in South Africa, but you've basically seen the world with real estate portals. Yeah, no one would sit you down on career day and say, this is a great way to see the world. <laughs> um, but it's a cool community. That's what I found is pretty much every country on the planet buys and sells real estate. And pretty much every country on the planet does it increasingly online and through digital experiences. And so these businesses are very similar to one another all over the, all over the globe. And even in my time at Private Property, we used to conference a lot with guys from Ireland, guys from Germany, guys from elsewhere in Africa, guys from the States. And so you'd get a sense of what's happening inside their business. And through that community, I've been able to travel and work in different locations and kind of see different businesses and how they develop in their local markets. And we should say, you're, you're fairly new to Vancouver. Yeah, yeah. I'm a newbie. So when I start giving out real estate advice later on the podcast, <laughs> just disclaimer, <laughs> disclaimer. <laughs> but but you, you were actually, just to be clear, like you've lived on how many continents? Five different continents? So I wouldn't say I've lived on five different conferences, started, started in Africa, worked in Western Europe for a number of years, and now recently in, in Vancouver. But I've worked in Asia, particularly Southeast Asia, in Thailand and Philippines and uh, Vietnam. And I've worked in Western Europe and the markets around Spain, Italy, France, Germany, and Latin America. And so, you know, if you add that to Africa, where I started out and North America, where I've ended up. Yeah, there's about five continents spread across that. I feel like one question that comes to mind is we used to ask this question all the time to guests, but you seem particularly well-situated to answer this. Does Vancouver real estate make sense? <laughs> uh, Vancouver real estate has definitely been an eye-opener for me. It's an unusual market. I think it's certainly viewed as a financial asset first and a social asset second, which I think is unusual when you look at it in context of some of the other places that I've been, but it's not completely out of context. I think almost every country has one city that sort of looks like a Vancouver or a Toronto in terms of escalating price growth, 
you know, challenges around supply. I and mean, we can get into all of that. But yeah. but the Vancouver market is definitely one of the most exaggerated markets that I've seen. Wow. I want to get into that. But let's let's first, I, I just want to back up because it seems to me like it, it sounds like you're a tech guy that got into real estate portals. Or do I have that right? Or were you interested in real estate prior? I guess it's a little bit circular because yes, I think fundamentally I'm a tech guy that got into real estate. But prior to that, my father was actually one of the you know bigger retail architects growing up. And so he did all the malls and shopping centers and things around South Africa. And so I was plugged into the real estate development space throughout my childhood years, just kind of seeing how it works, how these projects go up, who's involved in the professional teams, you know, how they serve the communities that are around them. And so there's the whole real estate bent to that experience. But then I got into software development by starting a software company, and it just happened to be serving real estate professionals. And then through that, just got more and more into the real estate marketplace side. Yeah. So before we get to REW, I think, I guess you could have went in so many different directions, but what excites you from a tech perspective about the real estate space? I think it's how important real estate is to society. Like that, that really kind of excites me. You know, real estate is a very, very important journey for each individual. And it tends to be foundational, at least to Western societies, it's very foundational, this this concept of free title ownership and owning the home that you live in and the whole process that surrounds that. You know, it's really intrinsic to how the societies are built. And technology should and increasingly is making that whole industry and that whole process a little bit more transparent, a little bit easier for people to understand and bringing more people into that ecosystem. And I can get excited about that. I think anybody that wants to see societies develop and move forward can get excited about the role that real estate can play in that. So in just thinking about REW specifically, can we talk a little bit about the history of REW and then when you arrived? Sure. Yeah, so REW is actually a name that's been around Vancouver for years and years. You know, originally the Real Estate Weekly, print publication, insert in all the newspapers, and certainly one of the more successful real estate publications I've ever heard of. I think they were printing 500,000 copies at some point, 800 pages per copy. You know, this was back in the late 90s. It was a a fat insert in the newspapers and and basically everything that was on the market was in those papers. So it's a name that's like pretty storied, I think, in the whole Vancouver scene. Real estate's a sport in Vancouver, so it makes yes. sense. It's, uh... <laughs> it is. It's a big game hunting. Now, <laughs> um, so from that you know, traditional media basis and foundation, they had a, a real estate digital presence from the early 2000s. So you know, quite early on, they, had, they saw the role of digital media and website, particularly in driving real estate search. But it wasn't until about 2010, I think, that they really got serious about building an out-and-out real estate platform and a portal for real estate search. One of my colleagues, Alan Moon, has been there since the beginning. He's our VP of platform, and he's really you know, built a great product that I think Vancouverites in particular really enjoy using for real estate search. And so over the years, sort of from 2010 until now, it's established itself as BC's favorite property platform and I guess we do about twice as much traffic as the nearest rival when it comes to real estate search. So it's certainly a, it's a pretty widely used utility. Do you think of REW as potentially disruptive in the real estate market or how, how are you kind of conceptualizing it moving forward? 
it's a question I've contended with throughout my career when talking about the role of a property portal in a real estate industry, because it's really interesting. It's one of the very, very few commercial enterprises where all of the actors in that enterprise define themselves as members of an industry. So, you know, there are a few of them like that, like the music industry, perhaps, or but real estate industry seems to see this as a kind of walled garden and how things have worked. They'll always work that way because, you know, we're creating the right tools and services for consumers to have a great experience. And to a large degree, that's true. But then you see the advent of new media and different options, which is always going to happen. And then instead of seeing those as part of an evolving industry, there's been this debate about are these disruptive to the industry? And I think that's kind of the line I've always taken when talking about this is saying that we are just as much a member of this ecosystem, if you want to use a different word, than a realtor or a conveyancer or a mortgage lender. So it's just a new part of the ecosystem. Well, not so new anymore, but a part of the ecosystem. And it is a part that's growing perhaps faster than the other parts. And so that makes people feel uncomfortable that maybe this is disruptive. But if you look at any of the countries that I've worked in, the portal has actually ended up being one of the best parts of the incumbent industry. It tends to represent the realtors and the agents really well. It tends to represent the listings in the market really well. And it tends to get consumers really excited about the market. And what it doesn't tend to do is consolidate that market any more than it had been before. I think what you are seeing in the US, though, is different. And maybe that's something that makes people a little uncomfortable. Can we talk about the differences? Because I think Canada, at least from our vantage point, seems to be a bit of a a harder nut to crack than the US in terms of some of the technology out there. I guess thinking about your multi-continent kind of history, is Canada's real estate industry different and how and better or worse? Yeah, I don't know if you can ever really rank things as better or worse, but... I don't want to get outdated myself in trouble. Is a, is a term, though. <laughs> outdated, outdated, maybe. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. At least my experience so far of Canadian real estate, and I've actually just made an offer and, and bought a house. So I'm like right in the process. Oh, congratulations. Of all of congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So I'm learning about the process as I go through the, the buying journey. It seems to have taken a lot of the best parts of the technology development on offer. And it has resisted some of the other parts which are more controversial. And if you're a consumer, you could argue that those parts are the parts you really want to see. And and what I'm talking about in particular is this idea of data access and how much is available to people on public platforms. And I think at least my recent experience is that has shifted forward a couple of years since the beginning of this pandemic. A lot of conversations that maybe I had when I first landed are not happening at the same frequency now. But there definitely is this idea that real estate professionals are eligible and entitled to more information about the real estate economy than an average Joe home seeker is. And that's pretty much the same thing that's happened in every other market. I think, though, Canada is further back on that development path than some of the other markets around the world. There's definitely a little bit of resistance from 
the incumbent industry to publish the kind of content that consumers are very hungry for, seeing themselves as the owners of that information. Do you have a sense of, uh, I guess there's two ways of looking at this, right? Presumably somebody who's trying to guard off information from the public is more effective here. Obviously, from a consumer standpoint, I think information should be free and you know, it's a bit of disservice kind of walling it off that way. Is it just that the industry's stronger here in terms of walling off that information? Or do you have a sense of that? There's a vibrant real estate industry in Canada, and it's got different actors. You know, the boards are very, uh, I think they, they add a lot of value to their members. And I think they are very, you know, useful in the incumbent real estate industry that, that exists today. And that's the balancing act here is I don't think everything should necessarily just be, you know, available online for free to everyone because there's a version of the kind of technology offering that doesn't have the level of service and the level of connection that people are actually looking for. I think some of the best digital platform offerings have this amazing meld of a human experience, like an augmented experience that includes great service and great connection with data availability, access, and useful digital tools. If you can get those two together, then you've got a fantastic consumer offering. I think where it sometimes falls down, and certainly in Canada, is that the guys trying to provide useful technology platforms and tools are seen as outside of the industry instead of trying to move the industry forward and and working with the industry to do that. And I know REW has got that ethos and that spirit where we really want to make the industry better by being a part of it and not by disrupting it. How important, like when I think about the business model of an REW, I mean, clearly there's there's ads. Clearly you guys are trying to make a product that consumers, you're competing against other search portals that there's lots to choose from, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to be sleek. You have to be uh, a beautiful user-friendly search engine for users. And then on top of it, there seems to be this data collection aspect where it seems like everybody is going after like an algorithm of trying to figure out and optimize what we know about listings and when people are looking at listings. And and so how do you kind of see the business model as REW? And then again, how does data tie into this as kind of moving forward? Because if, if I'm not mistaken, and I, and I don't know for sure, but it seems like there's a bit of a race for kind of getting to the, the place of, of having a lot of data and to learn from the data. And almost, you know, I've heard of companies now trying to get to a place where that they can predict sale prices mm. within a certain period of time. Like at this price, it will sell within, say, six to eight days, yes. you know, getting very yeah. specific. So how important is data to this model? I mean, obviously... Everybody enjoys a data-rich experience. In a digital platform, if you can offer me content and insightful analysis and data, I'm more confident as a consumer. And that's a really, really important word to use. You know, this idea of the home adventure, the home search journey, we we describe it at REW as an adventure because you set out on this uncertain path and you don't know where you're going to end and you don't know what challenges you're going to face, but you do it anyway. If you can inspire confidence in that process, it's often that which gets you over the uncertainty. So everybody enjoys data when it comes to dispelling concerns or doubts or fears about something. But when it actually comes to making the transaction decision, 
those tools that you're talking about are not actually as useful as, I mean, I don't know if you've used that's any of my, them. That's my opinion. But a lot of them are, are not where they are, where they should be, I think, now, right? But presumably, we're going to get to a place where they're more useful, I would, I would expect. I think it depends what, what version of this you see. Like, the one idea is that, and certainly you see a lot of companies in the U.S. kind of going down this at least companies in our space, going down this track, which is to say real estate should be easy. You know, it should be a kind of one-button experience and you should, you know, Amazon-style buy a house. And they're working on the different processes to try and make that possible. And certainly there are some pretty cool advances that you get when you look at it from through that lens. The other lens to look at real estate transaction through is that it is never really meant to be easy. It's, you know, it's one of those things that's sort of hard-earned and important and very infrequent. And because of that, it can afford to be complex. And it is complex. You know, you've got lots of different actors and role players, and you've got a lot of decision-making criteria that are not even known to the consumer at the time of making a decision. So the role of a real estate marketplace, I think, is less about simplifying the whole journey to the degree that it it feels like a simple, easy, noiseless, frictionless transaction, and more about making it a pleasant, enjoyable one. And you kind of see that, like you see the browsing behavior, the better these platforms get, the more time people actually spend in the decision-making process. So it's this weird thing, because you'd think that the better you get at making a real estate <laughs> portal, the quicker the transaction would be. Yeah. But it's actually the opposite. It's now you're actually giving people a reason to take six months, 12 months, 18 months to really consider the options and live into the experience and enjoy the process of choosing their next home. So that's an interesting thing that we're certainly seeing is the role of the marketplace in building confidence, creating enjoyment, demystifying an experience, but not necessarily directing it. Right. Can we talk a little bit, and again, most people probably have searched REW. I don't think I know somebody in Vancouver who I could confidently say has never been on that site. Okay. But can we talk a little bit about how you see REW as being different from the competition? What offerings are provided that make REW kind of a, a better search experience? For sure. So, you know, experience is a very tough thing to define, and it's quite intangible. So... You know, why do you enjoy Spotify of Apple Music? I, you know, some people will and some people won't. But the one thing that I would say differentiates REW is that we make a real effort to try and build a product that people enjoy using. So there is a focus on usability. There's a focus on the experience and the content that they provided with. Uh, that's the one thing, a real focus on that. The other thing that differentiates us from some of the other platforms out there is that we really do try and aggregate and assimilate a lot of content. You know, a lot of people in Canada, it's a really interesting paradox to some degree. It's like you've got the MLSs, which have a lot of resale content because that's what they were designed to do is create these sharing networks. But then you have people building websites like ours uh, because they can rather than because they want to serve the home seeker. Uh, it's like, oh, I've got access to all of this listing data, so I'm going to publish this listing data. And and because I publish this listing data, I get some traffic. And, right. oh, I've got a business. And 
that's kind of the supply side out discussion instead of the home seeker in approach, which is to say, what do I want to see when I'm looking for a new home? And so we try and take that route when it comes to content acquisition. We aggregate a lot of new home content, as an example, all the projects around the country that are not in the MLS, that are marketed independently and separately. We bring those in, and there are a few thousand of those. Rentals, which is really an interesting thing in, in Canada in particular, usually you see rentals and sales listings on the same platform. But here you see the split and you see them on, you know, Craigslist or Zump or other platforms. And so we try and bring those in and obviously the resale listings and try and create more of a comprehensive view on the market, add assessment data from BC assessment and, you know, other data sources to composite in what the real estate market looks like. So yeah, I would say experience and content. How useful is is REW for understanding market trends? Uh, Not as useful as it could be. (laughs) Uh, You know, that's something that we definitely want to work on. And we are putting certain projects and ideas in place inside the business to try and make it more evident to the rest of the world what goes on behind the scenes. But to us, it's pretty insightful stuff because, you know, you're talking about a large cross-section of the population, in, particularly in BC, that are yeah. using the platform regularly. And you do get insights about what they're looking at. And that is usually a leading indicator on what you see in the board stats or the market behavior. So you'll see you know, the sales come out six weeks to 12 weeks after what we've seen on the site. Right. You, you know, We can see what neighborhoods are in demand. We can see what type of units and properties and price points and the interaction around that stuff is pretty interesting. So making that available to the market, that I think is our next step. But certainly that data is there. But I'm just thinking like we talked earlier before we started recording approximately 6 million sessions hmm. per month. At least half of those are my wife. Um, <laughs> but um, that's, that's a lot of people looking at real estate. Like you can imagine how much data you can get specifically for sub-markets and regions, Hmm. I'm guessing here, but I'm guessing that around COVID, you started to see like, you know, obviously the peripheral kind of markets, the secondary markets really exploded. I'm sure that was caught in the data. Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, can we talk about maybe some of the, well, well, that, that market sub-markets, but also, you know, so now looking back at the start of this year, we see March as being kind of the high point, right? Mm -hmm. So presumably that's December, January into February, you're seeing massive increases in volume, I would guess. So it's kind of in terms of predictors of, of areas, but also of just market trends more generally, it seems super powerful. Yeah. Look, uh, one thing I will say is that the hotter the market is, that velocity means that the gap between what we see on the demand side and what you actually see as the trailing indicators on the sales side is really small. And so at the peak of it, like in March, maybe it was a week or two weeks and you'd see the flurry of interest and then you'd see the flurry of sales. Right. But yes, as the market kind of stabilizes and and is in its normal routine, that gap widens and then you can provide insight to real estate professionals ahead of that. And so to your comment about gated, I mean, we do have products that face the real estate agents and it's quite cool for them to be able to to stay in touch with their local market insights, right. their competitors, the listings coming on in their market, how, how in demand certain listings are within their local neighborhood. Because I mean, real estate is a very hyper-local thing. So sometimes seeing the aggregate trends, which 
which a lot of different places provide, is not as useful as seeing the hyperlocal trends. So yeah, but the pandemic did throw everything on its head. I mean, there was a lot of change that happened in a short time frame. And what we are still seeing is like these ex exaggerated wave patterns as a result of what happened back in April last year. So, so maybe if we could talk about that. So what trends are we currently seeing in the market? Yes. Or, or maybe we should just ask you where you bought. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah no. Um, <laughs> that was just a joke. Anyway, sorry, we'll go back to the trends. <laughs> yeah, so, so on the trending side, I mean, first of all, what we saw between April and now is just a very strange pattern of real estate search behavior. Usually you would see this kind of lull in summer and a bit of a spring market, bit of a fall market. I don't need to tell you guys. But on, what was it, middle of March last year, the bottom fell out of the market. I think we went down to, I mean, if we look at Vancouver, I think we went down to 500, 600 listings a week coming onto the market for a good four or five weeks. And that is way, way, way below the average right. of two, two and a half thousand. So there was this real supply crunch. And that was the same with the demand. I mean, I think we lost about 50% of our traffic in a week. It was just gone. Wow. And then you saw it slowly build up and build that up through April, May, June. And then it was just record months in terms of traffic. I think we were 70, 80, 90% up year on year in traffic for a good few months through the end of 2020. And then because of that demand, you saw that huge listing supply spike that happened in February, March. Like everyone was like, okay, we're going to need to bring yeah. our properties to the market. The prices are up. The demand is there. And I mean, that really was making hay while the sun shines. So we had 15 weeks where the listing levels were elevated, around 3,000 new listings on the platform just in Vancouver every, uh, every week. But I think the most interesting thing from COVID was not what listings came onto the market and how many users were on the website. It was actually who those users were. And there was a very big difference in demographic sort of pre-pandemic and post-pandemic. pandemic, And that's something that's now informing our whole business moving forward is the growth in interest from younger buyers, much younger buyers than traditional. So can you can you unpack that a bit? So what what was the demographic before and where did the demographic go? Yeah, so as you can imagine, like in any real estate market, particularly one that's like a high value market like Vancouver and surrounds, your demographic would be slightly older, like 35 at the young end plus. What we saw during the pandemic was this real interest and growing interest even now. Like, I mean, this is 16, 17, 18 months after the beginning of this thing, where the younger demographic are really focusing on real estate more than they ever have. I mean, as an example, I think we've seen a 200% increase in sessions from people under the age of 30, sort of pre-pandemic and post-pandemic. And that's not just a small blip. Like those trends don't usually change over time. You usually see the same sort of percentage of browsers below 25, browsers below 35, browsers below 45. So to see one side of that market really grow as quickly as it has is definitely, I think, an indicator for the whole real estate market going forward. Like how do we accommodate all this interest from younger buyers? And I think there are a couple of things driving that, and you've probably had other guests that have spoken to those things. But, you know, one is, is just the higher savings that people are having during this period. Sure. 
The other is that there's nowhere really to put those savings. I mean, that's why you've seen things like Robinhood just go crazy because like, well, now I'm going to invest in stocks because you know, what else am I going to yeah. do with my money and how do I hedge against inflation and all that kind of thing? Crypto, I mean, that's been riding a wave like this for a while. Now real estate has another asset, which particularly in a, like a Vancouver or Toronto context is high appreciation value. You're seeing people say, oh, how do I get into this sooner than I might otherwise have got into it? And then I think there's just the maybe a bit more of a social shift around, oh, you know, travel and experience was really important to me. Now maybe having my own place is important to me. Right. Kind of like the nesting thing that happens when you're having kids yeah. almost. I, mm. I think COVID kind of spurred that on some, I'd imagine. I wonder if this also was like a bit of a steroid injection into the wealth transfer that's been happening, like the gifted money somehow, because I, I feel like a lot of the younger people, like a lot of, and, and I, I just wonder if COVID was a time for maybe, you know, boomers to reflect. And also with the, with the pain points that maybe exist of people working from home, it just triggered early gifted money. It's a really good point because you also saw this, this other trend during the beginning of the pandemic where a lot of people that were living downtown in rentals moved home. And so now families that maybe had not been together are together. Yeah. And those conversations out. are going to happen. Day two, conversations start. <laughs> uh, that's, that's fascinating. Um, so that's some of the bigger changes we saw, I guess, during COVID. Hmm. Can we talk about kind of what we're seeing right now? Like July was a really, really low inventory month hmm. in our market. Yeah, both months, I think it's some of the lowest inventory we've seen in about the past 35 years yep. in our marketplace. What are you seeing now? And, and are, you, are you bullish on the market for the fall? I am bullish on the market for the fall. You know, you've got to temper that kind of thing these days because what does that mean? Does that mean it's going to be the same as March? Probably not. I would say definitely not. But is it going to be a good uptick on where we are now? I th you know, I'm pretty sure it will be. Anecdotally, I think there are a lot of listings waiting for the full market to come into play. Yep. But we obviously can't see that until they land on the site. But yeah, overall, all the signs are positive. I think the only free radical in the system is, is the election and what happens there around policies thereafter. You know, it's not something that I've heard a lot of real estate commentators talking about yet, but I think they will as it gets closer to a decision. It'll be like, okay, well, how does this impact the interest rates and, you know, Bank of Canada and what they do? How does this impact uh, lending criteria and rules? How does this, you know, potentially impact housing projects and supply side efforts? And I think depending on who who wins, there might be some differences in policy. But, I mean, that's a free radical. Other than that, I think the signs are positive. You know, it seems like the Canadian economy is rebounding well despite the uncertainty of the Delta variant and everything else, at least the, the numbers haven't been bad. And it seems like the kind of macro factors, particularly for cities like Vancouver and, and Toronto, are really positive. And when I talk about the macro factors, things like the immigration quotas, you know, me being one of them, the immigration quotas and what they're talking about. I mean, that's, that's over a million new people introduced into the economy over the next three years. That's at least what the target is. So that'll have a big downstream impact on where those people live, whether it be rentals or homes that they purchase. All of those are good macro trends. Whether they'll impact the fall market, 
is like maybe it's a little bit too early to tell. But I think low interest rates, you know, great prices will bring the sellers into the market. The demand is certainly still there. We see it on the platform. Demand is still 30% up on pre-pandemic levels. So it's not like it's it's not like it's exhausted the demand. It's there. And are you looking months like over July of last year or July and August of last year? Is that kind of when you're... Or no, like, pre-pandemic. So pre-pandemic. Two, pre-pandemic. Two years, yeah. two years oh, ago. Oh yeah, two years ago. Yeah, yeah, thank you. So if I just understand, just to put a finer point on it, this summer you're seeing a 30% increase over what you would have expected mm. in 2019, which yeah, suggests so that exactly. there's a lot of people looking for to make moves in the fall. Yeah, even though it feels like it's a really slow market, right. it's a lot busier than it was two summers ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And I don't know if you have this data here, but I'd love to hear even just thinking about the city of Vancouver, where people are searching. Because I think, you know, that's a really kind of insightful information to have where people are kind of looking for places in Vancouver. Yeah, so I don't think it'll be... A great surprise to you. <laughs> yeah, I but, have a feeling it won't be. I but uh, but I mean, I'll share some of the, the kind of hotspots and, and what's been happening in the market. There's certainly the top performers, and they've been consistently the top performers on a neighborhood level for the last 10 months. Is do we want to guess I was going to say, do we, yeah, we want to yeah. try and guess? But I, well, well, what are you, are you going, sub, are you going, how, so which, specifically which level, in specifically in Vancouver and sub-markets? So let's not say Vancouver. What I have is is markets in the lower mainland. Yeah. Because it's interesting. Like I'll, do, I mean, cat out of the bag. Vancouver didn't do well over the pandemic. You know, the yeah. actual the actual downtown core and the markets of Vancouver saw less demand and less interest, even less interest on the platform than they did pre-pandemic. So you see a little bit of a dip. What I can talk about is some of the markets that are really re- like there's a lot of resurgence. Right. And that's a story. Like. I mean, it's probably a little late now, but if you'd been on this three or four months ago buying condos in in certain markets in downtown, that's where the money was to be made and still is to be made because those saw the lowest growth in value over the pandemic time. You know, people moving out, rentals disappearing, et cetera. But yeah, let's go lower mainland and let's talk about like the top three neighborhoods in the lower mainland for, for interest. Yeah. And I, I was just, I was thinking Vancouver specific. I was going to yeah, guess kids in Mount Pleasant, but I may have been pretty... Uh... <laughs> well, funny enough, you've landed on you've landed on actually two sides of it there. Kits is one of the top three, done extremely well. Mount Pleasant is actually in less demand now than it was pre-pandemic. So there's this weird, there's this Whoa. weird night and day We there. can edit this, Adam. Yeah. You want to change <laughs> that, your guess? That, that is, that's actually surprising though, because I, I feel like that area still really does incredibly still well. Still has legs. It still has a lot of legs. But. Well, let's, let's hear about the top three. So can we do top three? Like you said, Kits is one of the three in Vancouver and yeah. then we can span out from there. But so what are the other two? So the hmm. other two are White Rock. So, I mean, Surrey's been incredibly, incredibly busy. It's it's routinely breaking records on our platform. There's just a huge amount of interest in areas out there. How Squamish? Squamish has been good. I mean, yeah. I even I was I was looking there. I've been looking all over the North Shore, West Van, Squamish. That's that's kind of my neck of the woods. Oh, you've gone all the, the oh, yeah. wow. <laughs> well, well, what pushed me to Squamish in the first place is this whole um, foreign buyers tax. Yeah, because of course I was on the wrong side of that oh, for a right, while. Right, right. Um, yeah. So that's what made me look up there initially. But then I was actually interested in the neighborhood because it does seem to be that whole sea to sky, at least in my opinion, it's beautiful. is going to be a, oh, a great yeah. growth market yeah. for, for Vancouver. 
It's hard to imagine. Like where Whistler prices are compared to Squamish, it and I, I know Squamish is not Whistler, but like it's dramatically different. Yeah. In terms of what you can what you can get. So so, so okay, we're think so top three, we got kits, we got white rock. Yeah, and I mean this one we've got Cloverdale as well. So so uh, Surrey, Surrey as well. Surrey, so, Cloverdale. Interestingly enough. Uh, could hardly point to Cloverdale on a map. I'm looking after a colleague's business while he's away, and I accidentally ended up there. That market is nuts. You're right getting now. run off your feet. Oh my god! It's like <laughs> and nine, fourteen offers on townhomes out there, yeah. and and it's it's a market right now where you don't the the comparables don't make sense. Like mm-hmm. you look, well, there's a sale in June, and it's like yeah. okay, we're going way above that. But yeah, obviously, well. Or maybe not. Obviously, Matt, we don't. Matt Scalina, always too busy for your Cloverdale referrals. Yeah. <laughs> we, we don't do. We don't do. We don't do, we don't do a lot of business on Cloverdale. That's for sure. But I was. It was shocking because we operate in Vancouver, and yeah. uh, you it, know, anecdotally, yeah. you hear about how busy it is out there. But you know, this is well, August, and those are those are I re, like those townhomes specifically. I remember you like in. Well, this is going back a long time, but when they were first built, like 2013, you couldn't give them away. It's amazing that that market has legs. And I wonder, I mean, this is the big, I guess the big question, but post-pandemic, how many people are going to go, huh, maybe I should have stayed in. Well, and have you seen those shifts already starting to happen? Like presumably the the push towards downtown you're talking Mm -hmm. about is starting to happen. Absolutely. So, I mean, two markets that are resurgent, uh, West End and Maine in Vancouver, both of those markets are really starting to grow. Really slow for a really long time. Mm. Surprisingly compared slow compared to compared to the rest of downtown. Yeah, yeah that's mm. what I yeah, yeah that's what I mean. Yeah, but we're seeing a great growth in interest and demand there. So whether that's going to translate into transactions, I mean, we'll have to see. But definitely, that's one of the markets that's growing faster than others on the platform. And I think it makes sense because it's this price differential thing, and the going back to normal, if you like, of routine around workplace and perhaps this hybrid work scene, you know, what's going to happen when offices are open for business at least a few times a day. And so you'll see people looking at those neighborhoods a little bit more closely. Right. But the price differential as well. I mean, Maple Ridge has been like a standout, standout market for the last year. And I think it was just because it timed it right. It had a whole lot of supply coming on right as people's buying habits shifted. Everyone was like, oh, I need to get myself a townhome or a detached home and I need to move out into the suburbs. And so who has inventory? Maple Ridge. So Mm -hmm. there was this big surge there. But I saw prices on projects that we were marketing out there go up by 30%, 40%, 50% in the course of a year. So, you know, developers that were bringing stuff to market at, you know, below a million, all of a sudden were selling it at 1.4. Yeah, It it, it sounds like some people overcorrected. Well, yeah. lifestyle-wise. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I wonder, I wonder two years from now what, what this well, looks like. So, I, and I, I, so that, that's phenomenal. So Maple Ridge was, was a real standout. I was thinking about the West End, and I just want to talk a little bit about that before mm-hmm. we move on. But the West End to me, uh, when I look at like, you know, a lot of stuff that's hovering in say like a thousand a foot, and you look at all the new construction going on, um, specifically around like kind of the board, like bordering Coal Harbor, yeah. like Alberni. And I mean, like what's the blended average price per square foot going to be on that stuff? Like 2300 a foot, mm-hmm. like when it comes to, to sale yeah. for all the new pre-construction coming. 
Well, and there's and they're sitting on the sidelines right now. There's uh, a lot of yeah. stuff, right? And I mean, there's some great, great apartments that you can buy in the West End for a thousand bucks a foot, like mm-hmm. you know, in the same areas, right? So you can't imagine. I mean, the the West End. I feel like we've been watching it, and I think there's a lot of nimbyism, especially you know, yeah. a, a lot of. You know, no tower, not pushing back against developers. But I feel but like the West the End is really too. So yeah, but I feel like it's also changing though in a big in a oh, big way. I feel like it's a lot of younger people going there. I think the West End is going to be a phenomenal uh, investment over the next call it, a so. decade, right? Yeah. I mean, not being from Vancouver, I can see the the appeal of a West End. You know, I've heard of this a lot since I've arrived. This idea of the missing middle. Uh, you know, the kind of the type, the nature of properties in between the detached home and the condo tower. And for me, the West End is probably the best proxy you have for that. Mm-hmm. It's it's these larger, older apartments. Sure, they're still, you know, effectively condos, but they're in low-level buildings. They are a different animal completely. They've got access to the park. They've got a very cool neighborhood and community around them. Yeah, from that perspective, we are seeing huge demand. You were talking about uh, Cloverdale and the townhomes, right. and it's that kind of demand that's that's really off the charts on on the platform. It's people that are in condos wanting to move to detached but not able to afford detached, and it's people wanting to get into the market but not necessarily wanting to get into a downtown tower. Right. You know? So there's a lot of interest in that. So yeah, I would agree with you. I think West End's a really good market to watch. You know, one thing, and John Stovell, who's a past guest on the show uh, over with um, with uh, Reliance. Reliance Properties, I don't know if you guys have seen this, Douglas Copeland, the tower where there was a lot of protests when, when Reliance bought it, but right at the corner of Denman and Davey, if you're on the beach looking back, it's they're doing Douglas Copeland art up the entire side. It is... One of the coolest look. Uh, it's one of the coolest looking it's just buildings. Just like a stack of cars. It's, it's the it's the <laughs> no, but it's the building where you know they. I think the building was basically falling apart. Their company bought it, and it's purpose built rental. But uh, and then there was huge protests because I think they had to basically evict a lot of people and mm-hmm. you know to get it up to speed. But man, it is. I guess it's like uh, you look at stuff like that happening in the West End, and you're like. I don't know how how cheap it's going to be for a lot of people who've been there for a long time, That's for very much longer. It's yeah. it's uh, but man, talk about beautiful! It's totally. a really cool building. You know, I was just thinking before we so we got the top three areas that people are looking to buy. Canada and Vancouver, I think at least, is uh, kind of notoriously bad at collecting rental data. And I know mm-hmm. I think you guys are kind of newer to the space, right? Yeah. Do you have? top areas where renters are looking? Because I think obviously a lot of our investors are going to be I don't think we asked you to prepare that data though. So yeah. I don't know if you have it. Yeah, I would, I would decline to comment on that one. All right. uh, no, and <laughs> we'll the, have you back in the future, hopefully. Yeah, I think so. so. So interestingly, because of the way the industry is structured here, the fact that so much of the rental inventory is C2C, peer-to-peer here, it's not as easy for us to get that that supply data. So we've got some projects in the pipeline to bring more of it to the market. But as an example, I think in BC, we've only got 10, 20% of the inventory on the site. So other markets like Alberta and Ontario, we've got much, much higher market share of, of listings for rentals. But we're going to solve the BC issue. But yeah, I, I don't think I'm best placed to comment <laughs> okay. on that. Yeah, I didn't want to didn't want to put you uh, put you on the spot. Where are we at though? Because I'm loving this data that's coming out of. Out oh, of I was going to give you the top sort of long term draft pick. 
Oh, so, okay. So, oh, great. So if you look at everything happening sort of around our Vancouver market, and I'm using the broadest possible definition of Vancouver I can, but if you look at some of the some of the other neighborhoods that have done really, really well in the last 12 months, it's place like um, Steveston, uh, a couple of places, Burke Mountain and Westwood Plateau in Coquitlam, Burnaby with Brentwood Park and, and Metrotown. So those are the types of things. But then Abbotsford also pops up like a fair amount in our data. So you can see this shift like really far away. And the next big Maple Ridge is definitely going to be Mission. So Mission is like, it's like on no one's map and no one's radar right now. I was going to say, can you describe where that is for us? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a hockey stick, right? Yeah. Uh, but Mission is, is definitely the top long-term draft pick because there's a huge amount of supply coming out of Mission. And we've yeah. been talking to developers and, and the projects that are coming out of the ground there are the right type of projects. And the demand is already on the uptick because it's just, it's, it's in between. It's in that corridor, you know, it's in between that, that Abbotsford interest market that Surrey market and that Maple Ridge right. uh, market. That makes a lot of sense. And I think Mission's been a busy market over the pandemic as, mm. as well. And I think like I see a lot of people going to Mission specifically in the detached from an investment perspective just because the rents are quite high mm. and the cost of a house with a suite with mm. the two rental, with two kitchens call it, is still, you know, sub a million dollars in a lot of a lot of cases, right? So I think that's definitely a market to watch. That that's an interesting one. That's the draft pick. Yeah, there are you know there are a few thousand homes coming out of the ground there in the next uh, let's call it five to ten years, and with that much supply coming into the market and the interest and demand that people have for that that neck of the woods, you're going to see that become a major market. Or Vancouver in the future. I wouldn't say it's anything in the short term, like the next two or three years, it's going to be this desire to be there, but not enough supply. It's a little bit like what we've seen during the pandemic for areas like Mission. But long term, that's going to be a big market. That's interesting too, because I mean, that's, that's a, for people that are looking in the Okanagan, where house prices have gone crazy, right? Mm. You know, a lot of, most houses now in the Clone area are, are, starting 750 for desirable areas, but a lot of them are north of a million bucks now. So, I mean, that's an interesting alternative for an investor going into the Okanagan. Yeah, I, I'm just thinking... At a similar price point and, and probably comparable rents. Right. You know, just thinking about, and I've never really thought about REW this way, but I've always thought about the relationship with the development community as being a place where developers can advertise their their yeah. product. Presumably, with the data you guys are collecting, it's a more kind of holistic mm. relationship. I, I'm guessing that's just something that's kind of evolved out of, you know, having this type of data where you can actually be instructing yeah. people that are, you know, looking to understand the market in that with the minutiae there. Oh, Matt, I would love to have that kind of relationship with these developers say, seems, and project markets. I was going to say it must be a part of this long-term strategy at least. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting thing. You know, Vancouver's been a hot market for a long period of time. And so I feel like a lot of the developers, rightly so, you know, build what they think will sell and guess what? It sells. And so this desire for market intelligence and, and consumer information is maybe not as acute as it as it could be. But yeah, if they knocked on our door and said, listen, we want to know X, Y, Z, we've got some really, really insightful information about demand patterns, 
the nature of floor plans that work, you know, that don't work, the price points that are working and not working. Uh, there's lots of things that could be looked at from our existing historic data, and there's lots of things we can even test. You know, that's the great thing. You can actually put a project up a, two years out and test a bunch of floor plans and see which ones, you know, get the appeal from, from right. the market. So there are a lot of things that we could be doing that, that if we had, you know, if developers were more excited about the potential of market intelligence, that we could be a source for that, yeah. So I guess in thinking more about REW's goals in the future, it strikes me as a lot of, so we have a lot of, you know, people from the industry that listen to this show, I think we have a lot of mom and pop investors who listen, you know, people just looking to get into the market and understand the real estate market. How does this, can we talk about kind of future goals and how you're planning to engage these these groups in terms of, you know, like I'd love to get behind behind the looking at all this data. I'm just thinking as a potential investor looking for, hey, what are people looking for right now? You know, that type of thing. And how can I access that information? Did we get through all your picks though for markets? Did we cover the ground there? Oh, I think for Oh no, a, around the province. Let's go around the province oh, too. Oh, gee. No, I think for a newbie Vancouverite, you probably got about as much as I can get. <laughs> as I said at the top of the show, the disclaimer still rides. You know? yeah, uh, yeah. I'm learning my way around. I'm I still learning how to pronounce some of these places. Well, yeah, I think we've already got the title for the show, the Vancouver's Next Draft Pick. Yeah. <laughs> and it's right. not Matt Scalina from his Bantam hockey days, that's for sure. <laughs> right uh, next to the Quay. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, sorry, and continue. That that's a, that's a good question. What is the future of REW? Yeah, I think I think if you want to broadly encapsulate what we want to do is we want to take something that's very much a public platform today and move it towards a very personal experience because that's what real estate really is. It's individuals with their own dreams and aspirations and concerns and challenges trying to find their way through this real estate journey. And digital platforms are doing this job of personalized content and personalized experience way better than they ever have before, but not in real estate. So broadly, we want to do that. We want to kind of personalize the digital experience for, for real estate. And what does that mean? I think, you know, we've kicked off this year with this product called REW1. And REW1 is, is REW's version for agents for realtors and, and real estate agents that are interested in their local market dynamics. They want to measure themselves against their competition. They want to see local insight about their, their market. So a lot of the stuff we've been talking about on the show, we actually now publish to users of the REW1 platform and more and more of that. You know, it's, a, it's an ever-growing product line that we're really trying to build now. And then for the home seekers on the platform, we're trying to make those same real estate professionals that much more personable. We're trying to celebrate the work that agents actually do with the people that they do it for because it's really interesting. There's not a lot of that online. You see the listings and the listings are always preeminent and consumers are obviously very interested in the listings, but ultimately they're going to transact with an individual. And it is really up to marketplaces like REW to build this fulsome personal view of each of the professionals that serve the consumers in their market. And so that's what we've tried to do. We brought to market a, a kind of like a LinkedIn feed concept for realtors to try and allow them to publish more of themselves to their market, but also to use the data points that we already have about them, you know, their successes, their new listings, their sold listings, their market stats, and bring that to consumers in a more personal way. 
So that's what we're doing for the real estate professionals to try and personalize it. And then for the home seekers, we've got some really cool ideas for next year that, we, that we're working on. So, you know, watch this space. But we, we're really trying to partner with consumers in their property search. Is there, just thinking about all the, the different platforms you've worked on around the world, are there models out there that you guys look to and think, okay, this is, this is something we, we can aspire to? Uh, I mean, there are lots of great models. From a business point of view, the business of real estate portals in other countries is a very inspiring story. You know, you're talking about groups of individual founders that get together, that start a website. This is maybe 15 years ago, and they you know, bring the industry together and they publish a lot of content. And now those businesses are billion-dollar businesses. You know, whether you're in Spain or Australia or the UK, these are big, exciting businesses because of the reach they have to the home seekers. The home seekers trust them as the source and the start of their real estate journey. But from an actual experience point of view, to be honest, not a lot of these guys have really innovated the space. They've taken the concept of advertising from you know, a paper and put it in a digital format. And so I think there's a next evolution in the experience around how you consume real estate information. I mean, you think of the different experiences you have. The one that I often think about as, a, as an inspiring model is the Airbnb model. So Airbnb for me is a platform that, I mean, it's obviously revolutionized travel and everything else, but it's also revolutionized what a marketplace can be. The Airbnb marketplace represents the hosts in a particular way. It represents the guests in a particular way. And it does a great job of showcasing the real estate just in a different context and kind of short-term rental concept. And it also facilitates a relationship between guest and host, which is, you know, quite an interesting role that a marketplace can increasingly play. But it does all of that in a beautiful kind of elegant way. You know, mm-hmm. you actually enjoy doing it. So I think that from an experience point of view is quite a good marker to put down and say, hey, what if that type of interaction existed for the real estate purchase process? And yeah, I mean, there are lots of, there are lots of complexities to solve in that industry, but you, you know what I mean? That, right. that could be a marker for the experience. Right. You know, just as a final question I have here, just thinking about, so you, I think this was when we were offline, uh, Simon, talking about how you kind of arrived from Spain right as the pandemic hit and you kind of luckily got into the mm. country with everything, you know, that you were bringing with you, including your family. But just thinking about, you know, REW as a business and Vancouver and maybe British Columbia more generally as a, as a real estate market or a place to live, mm. what was the exciting opportunity that you saw here? Was it that we're, we're so far behind some of the places, the other places <laughs> you've worked at? Or like, what was the... Was it the beauty? Was what, it the was Yeah, it what was Canada? the impetus? What, yeah. what excited you about the opportunity at REW and about Vancouver, I guess, more generally? And it sounds like you bought a place, so presumably you're staying around for a year yeah, or two at least. Yeah, thankfully, I'm, I'm putting down roots for a little while and, and I'm enjoying it. But yeah, I mean, what attracted me to it, I, it's, it's always a combination of, you know, opportunity. And there was a great business opportunity with REW. You know, what could this business become? How could it serve the industry? How could it serve home seekers better? And so that excited me based on my prior experience in different markets. It felt like there was a long way to go for the business. Do you know what I mean? It felt like there there is a great opportunity to build more 
relationships and deeper relationships with home seekers and with real estate professionals. So that was appealing. A lot of markets around the world, it feels like that vacuum has already been filled. Whereas in Canada, it feels like from a digital real estate experience point of view, there is this nagging opportunity that still exists. So that was the one thing. And then the other thing is Vancouver is a beautiful place. I mean, wherever you are in the world, you can appreciate the scenery and you can appreciate the the people and the, you know, the warmth and the hospitality of the people, the system, you know, it's a great system to live in and be part of. But the thing that really appealed to me coming originally from Africa is the sense of frontier that you still have in the West of Canada in particular. I haven't spent a lot of time in the East and I'm sure I'll get to, but certainly out here, there is a sense of frontier. There's the sense like if I walk out of my backyard and kept walking, I would never be found again. And, <laughs> and that's quite appealing, you know, certainly coming from Africa where it is more of a raw and visceral experience and you feel alive as a result of that. Vancouver certainly has that. It's a young city. There's a lot still to, to be discovered and to do. And I think people have that uh, they have that sense of adventure here. And that was appealing for me. Well, that's a that's a great place to end the show. Uh, maybe we'll leave it there. But we do have actually this segment called uh, the Five Wire, Five Lighthearted Questions <laughs> to actually end the show. Yeah. Do you have time for that? <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. Okay. Uh, so question number one is, since you've been here under the pandemic, might be a hard one, but favorite bar or restaurant? Yeah, I've got to say... Uh, uh, Ming's Garden on DoorDash. <laughs> That's about as far and wide as I've experienced. This one should be interesting. Favorite band or song? I'm trying to think of South African music. Yeah. The only uh, yeah. no, no, no. I'm a, I'm a bit of a, a folksy, old school Americana kind of guy. So I really enjoy, you know, when I'm in a particular mood, guys like Bob Dylan or Ben Harper. More particularly, or more recently, I've been listening to a band called Ida May out of the UK. They've got a new album called Click Click Domino. Worth a listen if you enjoy any of that kind of, nice. uh, oh, interesting. Kind of thing. I, this just dawned on me. I don't think I've ever had uh, somebody from South Africa that I can ask this to. What was this documentary, Sugar Man? Oh, yeah, yeah. Was, this actually, was that actually is, accurate? Is, is, that's a genuine D, thing, man. That's is a genuine the thing. word? Is that from South Africa, too? Is that? <laughs> yes, yes. D, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's, a, that's to, an interesting alternative. That's music. Uh, that's, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, anyways. Yeah, yeah the Antwoord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, yeah, yeah, that's a unique, a unique uh, proposition. Unique is right. right unique is right. I'm, I'm glad you didn't go in that direction. That's, uh, <laughs> uh, but the Sugar Man thing. So yeah. the the idea was actually that they they could get under the wire when in terms of getting it into the country, and he kind of took off. You remember this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that yeah, documentary yeah. was so true because it was so weird. Rodriguez was was a as much part of the whole folk music scene as any of the big names that you yeah. that you would talk about at least from a South African perspective. And there was this weird thing to realize that, hey, outside of South Africa, no one's really heard of this, yeah. this cold fact. And, you know, it's just like, what, what do you mean? Right. So, yeah, that, that story is pretty true. One book you would recommend for our listeners doesn't have to be real estate related. Oh, it isn't. Um, <laughs> I, I spent so much time doing real estate. I yeah. try and think of something else. So I really think a lot of what we have to give as humans is in this, this creative realm you know, it's, it's our ability to kind of, you know, make things happen and create things that it really moves us forward. And so a great book is Seth Godin's latest one, The Practice. Um, uh, I've heard about it, yeah, but yeah. have not read it. 
I get his daily emails. That oh, guy's cool. that uh, guy's best best email list to be on, or one of them. It's one incredible of the best. how every day you're like, that was a fairly profound thing you just said. Yeah. Day yeah. in, day out, he comes up with. So, the so that's content. great. I'm glad that you read that, Matt, because the book itself is him describing the process that you need to go through to be able to be that creative. So his ability to write an email every day with something profound is not something that he just stumbled upon. It's because of the years and years of work that he's put into the craft and and the craft behind being creative. It's not like this moment of inspiration. It's just like, do it. Because, yeah. you know, everyone can do it. So I, I really enjoy that book. I think your listeners will enjoy it too. What is one piece of advice that you'd give your 18-year-old self? Yeah, that was an interesting one. I think I would just tell myself to sleep a little bit less. Like get up, <laughs> get up earlier in the morning. Because if you think about how much you're able to do between the age of 18 and I guess 28, like you get this incredible opportunity, (laughs) but, and it's such a narrow window because once that window closes, it's like, well, life happens and it's like responsibility and go, go, go. So if, if I'd just woken up a little bit earlier every morning, I would have done, I don't know, 25% more cool stuff. (laughs) You know what? It's amazing. My kid was at camp last week and she's nine. And those four days I was like, this is unreal. I have like, I could do, there's, I'm getting so much done. I still have so much free time. And then you think before you had a kid and you're like, yeah. man, yeah. I had years that I just, <laughs> yes, exactly. what did I do? I like, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, last question for you here, Simon, something you have bought for under $1,500 recently that has changed your life. Oh, this is a good one. So I had a little think about this one and, you know, usually you would think of things that you bought, but what I actually did was I've always wanted to row. You know, so the good old-fashioned sculling and sweeping in a rowboat, uh, you know, and I'd never gotten a chance to do it. I, water sports are my thing. I stand up paddleboard and I surfed when I was back in South Africa and, you know, I really enjoy being on the water. So I started a learn-to-row program down at the Vancouver Rowing Club back in May and I've been rowing twice a week ever since and it's a fantastic sport and what an incredible way to experience Vancouver. You know, you're right in Coal Harbour there, on the water in front of the marina. I know there's another club in False Creek, but it's a great way to experience Vancouver. Learn to row. Did you say you started it or you just joined it? Well, I joined. I joined. I started oh. with the program. Oh, and, started and then, with the program. I was yeah, going to say and, 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 and I don't think it's quite cost 1500 bucks, but, you know, you go from one program to the next, to the next, to the next. And so it's, it's cost a bit of money. And so, and you're like, you're out twice a week rowing in False Creek or where? where yeah, so typically? so the clubhouse, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's it's down on Stanley Park looking yeah. at Coal Harbour. So yeah. that's the clubhouse there. And they've got a great learn to row program. And I've been doing that. And it's been an epic way to kind of exercise and see the city and get a bit of social interaction and learn a new thing. And I think learning a new thing, I try and do that every couple of years. So that's my new thing. That's phenomenal. So, Simon, how can people find out more about you and about REW? Well, hopefully REW is no mystery to anyone. So <laughs> if, if they want to check us out, rew.ca and soon rew.works, which will be our corporate site, kind of company site, the, the team behind REW. We're going to be posting a lot of cool stuff there. And then me personally, you can find me on LinkedIn at Simon Bray. 
Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for your time, Simon. That was uh, that was great. Hopefully, we can have you back to uh, some check-ins about these stats and search habits. Anytime. And anytime. The annual the draft road. pick. Oh, Can't man. Wait. Yeah, this will be great. Yeah, cool. Well, just don't aim me out to dry if, uh, if this one turns out to be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so there you have it, folks. Our discussion with REW's president and CEO, Simon Bray. Really enjoyed that conversation with Simon, Matt. One thing I was just thinking about, like, imagine, so Simon is like, he's got kind of the the stats height-wise and like arm length-wise. <laughs> oh, oh, his personal for, stats, for, okay. For, for rowing, yeah. right? So that guy walks into a rowing club. Like, imagine, it's almost like gym class when you get, when you know, it's like, who do you want to be on, well, I, on, that, in your boat? We literally talked about this after, eh? It's like, that would be like, you have like a pickup game of uh, basketball and yeah. Michael Jordan walks in and he's yeah. like, hey, can I, can Could you I join? imagine? I, and he's like, guys, ah, I, I decided I wanted to start rowing. I'm like, that's, so you could have got handpicked out of a crowd to be He's like, like probably he looks like an, an Olympic, Olymp- Olympic rower. Yeah. And I'm thinking if I went to that, like I've got, I'm all torso. I've got like Tyrannosaurus <laughs> no, Rex no arms. arms. Absolutely yeah, no, no arms. Tiny <laughs> arms. And, uh, and it would just be like, could you, I, I just, it would be a funny, like, how do they arrange the, the boat? That's what I'm wondering. Like, where do they put Simon and where do they put a guy like me? Yeah. They put a guy like me on the shoreline <laughs> cheering. That's yeah. where they put me. You're the guy who's getting the water for yeah, when they yeah. get, get to shore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> can, I, can I towel off the sweat on your forehead, Simon? <laughs> Anyways, Matt, what else do we have for this week? What else do we have for the week, Adam? We have VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. This is our website where all things real estate related live. Head over there to sign up for things like the Livewire. This is our weekly mailer where you're getting VIP access to pre-sale projects. You're getting stats that are not available anywhere else every month, month in, month out. You're getting deal of the month and a variety of other real estate related tools. That's the Livewire. You want to be on that for sure. We also have the new and improved private client services. Because Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information for free at your fingertips. All you got to do is head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com, sign up for PCS, and uh, we'll be in touch to set up an account. And it is the best resource out there for sure. Um, And last but not least, Matt, commercial Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast, The VCREP. The VCREP. Uh, the VCREP. Uh, we're, yeah. we're almost... Don't mispronounce we're, that. We're, it's, it's a very... It's one letter <laughs> off. We are... We're almost 20 episodes in. Can you believe that? And, and Corey Wright is... Uh, man, his podcasting skills are, are going through the roof. I'm telling you. Yeah, he's a talented guy and it's amazing watching the transformation. Yeah. You should definitely be listening to that show if you are interested in real estate in BC because as we've said before, the residential and the commercial market, there's a lot of interplay... And you're not getting the whole the whole view of of the market if you're just focused on residential. That's absolutely right. So that is VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com where you can get past episodes or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Yes. And one thing more I just want to say about PCS or uh, what is it called now? Exposure, maybe. Whatever it's called. Right. The, the service that we offer here at the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm thinking we are at the end of August here market has really slowed down over the course of August, as was expected. In terms of inventory. In terms of inventory, just in terms of everything. I mean, this is the month where, you know, outside of December, I think August is the month where everybody kind of has their focus somewhere else. If you're interested in following the fall market here, which starts basically after Labor Day, Day, and I think it's going to be a busy one, 
There is no better service out there than private client services. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And Matt, last but not least, I just want to give a shout out to uh, Boza Cita Sky. I was just out in Squamish and actually our Instagram is a lot more active lately. That's right. And uh, so if you head over and follow us, it's uh, at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast on Instagram. We've been trying to update, but I, I took a couple photos out there. I honestly, I, I feel like I slept on buying one of those pre-sales. They were doing a two-year rental incentive when my client bought. And two years, they'll guarantee the rents on them. They'll manage it. And you know that, that market is just exploding over there. And when you go look at that product... It was it, so obvious it, at the time. We, did, we actually podcasted from there. Yeah. Well, you know what's crazy though is also the curb appeal. You drive into that community and you look around and it's like... It's so cool. The different materials they've used for the siding, they've got like, you know, like four inch reveal kind of hardy siding. And then they've got like these panel siding. They've got metal. Like it's just, it looks like this mix of like craftsman, but modern. And then on top of it, you know, you look around and I don't think there's a unit in that that doesn't have an incredible view because how do you not have an incredible view? It's like the chief is like slammed up against you. It's like everything around you is like just massive mountains, beautiful, beautiful skylines. So yeah, definitely follow us on Instagram because we're a lot more active over there. So if you have an Instagram account, uh, you should be following us as well because we will be updating our account. We haven't for years on account of just being too old. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> if you want to talk about that, it's not, not much about Instagram actually, but anything real estate related, give me a shout at any time, 778-847-2854 or matt at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Yeah, but you will take calls on Facebook because that's more your jam. But uh, <laughs> Maybe MySpace, I yeah, think is my yeah. jam. <laughs> or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. I've got all your uh, MSN uh, chat <laughs> advice <laughs> that I can uh, pass along. Right on. And last but not least, we have that Kokomo line info at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Have a great week, guys, and uh, enjoy the rest of the summer before uh, before a busy fall. Absolutely. Take care. 2,000 spaces for radio. Subscribe today. Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just 
feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah. You know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the way. And I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Konkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer. And they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join typing in VRP 2020. 